Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and professor of biology and a Christian. I find great joy and harmony in my life exploring science, studying birds, and in following Jesus. I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and other resources to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. I'm glad you're here to join me and occasional guests to explore the intersection of science and Christian faith. Now, let's get on with the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. As you may or may not be aware, Disciple Science released a new video last week on the gospel and the environment. And if we were following our normal protocols, we would start digging into the fascinating story of how the Christian church has a pretty rocky relationship with the environmental movement and why that is. And we will instead talk about that next week because we need to address the not the elephant in the room, but the microscopic organism in the room, right? The coronavirus pandemic. This is a science and faith podcast, and the coronavirus is a crisis that is tied up with our faith and with science. Science can help us understand the disease and how it's transmitted and how it affects our body and how we can see a way path forward out of this. And our faith can inform how we should respond, both in the condition of our heart and in our actions. And so we want to uh, address both of those things. I want to talk about these things. And uh, as much as, uh, you know, I want to follow our normal protocols, this is really not a current events podcast, but uh, it just felt dishonest to not address it at any point. And let me just uh, briefly tell you the, my, the story of my life in the, in the last month. We planned a family vacation down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, three of our kids, three of our four kids had never seen the ocean and we'd never really been on vacation. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, we, but we we really done very little vacationing with our family in part because many of our kids did not do well in the car as kids. And the thought of um, family road trips with screaming kids just sounded awful to both of us. So we didn't really um, do much of that. And we're finally starting to grow out of that. Our youngest is two and a half and can handle pretty long stretches in the car. And the coincidence of my sabbatical with uh, this this time in life, we decided it's time to take the kids down and show them the ocean, visit some friends. So we decided to head down to the Gulf Coast. And when we left, uh, there was uh, an awareness that the coronavirus was coming and there were infections in the United States, but there were none where we were headed. There were none in Alabama. There were none in Mississippi. There were none in, in most of the Midwestern states we were going to pass through. So we decided to take off on our trip. And in the middle of that trip is when things started getting really serious and really interesting and attractions started closing and restaurants kind of you know, started shutting down or, or at least changing habits. And so we enjoyed visiting friends in Alabama. We enjoyed uh, swimming in the ocean before, you know, things got crazy and beaches started closing and whatnot. Um, but but we, it, was a, it was quite a fascinating experience to be on vacation as, as the outbreak started really manifesting before us. 
So we're home now and we're homeschooling like everyone else and working from home like everyone else. My wife uh, stays home as it is and I'm trying to get things done from home, but with four kids, two of which are in school, I, it's kind of an all hands on deck because one of us mans the two children, younger children, that really want to be involved with homeschooling and the other two, the other parent manages the older children that really need to be involved in, in this curriculum. So long story short, I'm home like all of you, uh, trying to follow the guidelines from the government about how to keep people safe and keep my own family safe by by uh, by not going out. So let's talk about this. Uh, now, I think we should start with the science. And so I want to um, detail the the story of transmission and the conditions of the infected people or, uh, okay, sorry. I can't even keep a straight face for very long. I'm not that kind of a scientist. I can't really give you much background on the coronavirus. Did you hear the intro? I'm an ecologist, right? So I'm not going to try and uh, dig too much into the science of the coronavirus or, or the epidemic, but I do have what I think is a very important message and one that's really tied into every topic that Disciple Science addresses in our podcast and in our videos And that message is that we generally ought to trust scientists. They are studying God's creation with intentions most of the time of giving us understanding and of applicable information. I I generally trust most scientists and the conclusions that they share with us, unless unless I have a reason not to. Right, And so there are legitimate reasons to be skeptical of some scientists if we know they have biases, if we know they have a, 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 a maybe a certain political bent and they are only seeing half of the story, or if their projects are being funded by a for-profit corporation that are encouraging them to have some sort of bias. That's usually not quite that explicit, but I think it does sometimes happen. There are some scientists that are quite famous for sneaking their worldview assumptions and their metaphysical uh, commitments into their conclusions, and that leads us to uh, great skepticism and disregard them, but what it shouldn't do is lead us to just mistrust all scientists. Because I think overall, scientists are going into science with fairly benevolent intentions to understand the world. As Christians, we see it as a desire to understand the the systems and mechanisms and, and objects that God put in place, often with, again, the intention to create applicable um, knowledge about how we can how we can protect it and how we can keep it clean and how we can keep ourselves healthy. So I think we should generally trust scientists. And that's one of the goals of disciple science is that we would transition away from our initial instinct that some of us have not to trust scientists unless we're given really good reason to trust them to a a posture of trusting scientists unless we have reason not to. It's like our judicial system, right? Do we consider people innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent. And I think too much of the Christian world looks at scientists and scientific conclusions and say they're guilty and we shouldn't trust them unless we find overwhelming reason that we that we should. And I think that that's probably the wrong, the wrong conclusion to take. And that, 
that really actually matters, that has great implications because uh, the vast majority of scientists, as I've said, they're not just seeking knowledge. They want to um, create applicable understandings for how to make our lives better, to keep us healthy and to keep the environment clean. And the vast majority of scientists are not trying to lead us away from God. There are a few bad eggs out there that loudly proclaim their distrust for religion, but they're they're really a very small, very loud, but very small minority. Most are just trying to understand, protect, and educate about how the world works. And they have dedicated their careers to gaining understanding, and they are experts in their field. And I generally trust people that are experts in their field. And this obviously has tremendous implications for the coronavirus pandemic because it has led to a few uh, prominent Christians expressing great skepticism toward the recommendations coming from epidemiologists, coming from uh, physicians, coming from the emergency uh, medical planners. They're saying, oh, these guidelines are just being put in place to harm President Trump and his administration. Uh, We'd be just fine. It's just the flu. Uh, You know, we'll be fine. You know, we'll just pray and God will protect us. Um, You know, I think that we, that this is, this is our mistrust of science rooted in the origins debate, sometimes festering and spilling over into just mistrust of all scientists and assuming that all of them are out to get us. Um, but we ignore these people. We ignore scientists at our own peril that this is like risk management, right? What, what's the risk and what's the reward of just considering all of their advice to be biased and baseless and something that we should disregard? I think that instead, uh, the religious leaders should trust that these scientists are trying to look out for our best interests. We should trust that they, when they've warned us about pandemics in the past, saying that this is going to happen, this is something that's been in textbooks, it's been in my classroom, it's been in messages for decades, saying in our global society and the way people travel now, we are going to have a global pandemic on our hands. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. These are messages I've heard my entire career, and we ignored them and did not prepare ourselves for them as well as we should have, and we are now reaping the consequences of those actions. And in the same way, ignoring the call to uh, stay home and try and prevent the spread of the coronavirus is going to have very serious consequences for people that we that we that we love and and people that even people that we don't love people we don't know right we don't want this to spread and cause problems for our society so if any message i can share it's one that um that i think generally we can we can trust scientists to most often be looking out for our well-being and using their expertise to give us what they think is the best advice. And so in this circumstance, what's best for us is probably to to, to stay home. And I'll elaborate on, on that in just a little bit. Now, this is also a faith podcast. And as a Christian, we just struggle, you know, Christians and non-Christians alike, we, we are just broken when we see people suffering and dying 
And I think our first instinct is to want answers. Why is this happening? Why is God letting this happen? Why isn't God doing something about this? This is, this is just the same old problem of evil. If God is all good and all powerful, why do bad things happen? Especially why do bad things happen to good people? This is a problem that's been um, wrestled with by philosophers and theologians for millennia. And I think to some degree, some of those people have even come up with valid explanations that satisfy a a thesis committee or maybe a a room full of philosophers. But even a a valid philosophical explanation for for evil or or a theological explanation that's rooted in 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 a biblical worldview, it's not going to satisfy the pain or remove your desire to love and serve and mourn with those who are suffering. It's not going to eliminate the illness. It's not going to um, alleviate the pain of people that aren't able to be with their loved ones that are, that are suffering. But the, the role of Christianity is not to provide answers. It doesn't um, provide theories in the way that science does. Theology does use a similar process, but it, our, our faith is not about knowing the answers to all the big questions. Now, there are aspects of that. Sometimes it does. We, ha- we have answers to our worldview questions, but I think Christianity is more powerful in guiding our relationships and our reactions, and our ethics, and the condition of our heart, and directing our prayers. Now, the book of Job in the Old Testament is among the more profound reflections on the problem of evil. Job wants to understand why he is suffering, and if you if you read it, you know, the first 38 chapters, roughly, are Job talking with his buddies and trying to reason through why he's going through this awful, awful experience of losing his family, losing his, his livelihood, and losing his health, and trying to figure out, why am I suffering, God, right? And so, uh, interestingly, in the last four chapters, in Job 38 through 42, God responds to Job with a reflection on the mysteries and the majesty of nature. It's almost an explicit response that says, you're asking the wrong questions, right? Wanting to understand the problem of evil is not what Christian faith is all about. Now, that is a tough pill to swallow for for many people. I say that because that's a tough pill to swallow for me. I want answers. I, I, I love science and philosophy and theology because, because I, I value a, a, a detailed and thorough understanding of how the world works and how Christianity works and how um, you know, we can just make sense out of the world. And so I want answers too, but that's, that's not what we're called to. We're not called to seek the the, the answer to why bad things happen, we are, um, we're called to pursue God. And, and as God reflects and responds to Job with this message of, look, that's, you're, you're asking the wrong questions. That's not what it's all about. Uh, just, just sit back and look at all of what's going on around you. There, there's a 
bigger story at work here than than your circumstance. And I think that that's um, that we should then look at that and consider uh, um, uh, a response that isn't asking for answers, but one that is uh, a call to action or a call to lament or a call to prayer. Right. So I think that that's how we should respond. We should respond number one with prayer. God wants us to go to him when we experience hard times. I think that's the beauty that is embedded in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on. Blessed are those who are broken and can no longer rely on themselves or their wealth or their health so they turn to me. So the message in the Beatitudes is the same message in Job, that we are, we are at our best when we are no longer dependent on what we think we can provide for ourselves, our, our, our health and our safety and our wealth and our insights, when we just go to God and ask for peace and ask for grace. And so I think we should respond with prayer, right? Prayer for our leaders, prayer for the scientists, prayer for the sick, prayer for those that are serving the sick, uh, not because God is going to intercede miraculously and make all of our problems go away, but because prayer conforms our heart to be more like Christ's Prayer calls us to action. Prayer transforms our, our mindset and gives us peace and comfort. Uh, prayer is, is just a, a way to communicate with God. And sometimes we even pray with lament. And I think that we should respond with lament when we see death and suffering in this world. We don't always turn to God with praise and thanksgiving. And the Psalms and the book, we have got the whole book of Lamentations, right? Which give us a map for how to be frustrated and how to be discouraged, even how to be angry with God. We should lament the pain that we're witnessing. We should lament the people who have lost their jobs. We should be frustrated and discouraged by the anguish that we're witnessing worldwide as we try and protect the lives of the vulnerable by sacrificing our own comfort, and in some cases, knowingly sacrificing the economy for the well-being of those that are that are uh, at risk. If you haven't read it, I strongly recommend you go to a, a piece written recently by N.T. Wright that was published in Time Magazine about a Christian response to the coronavirus, and he he spoke well about this idea that lament is. Is not something we should shy away from. It's something that we should embrace. And we should pray through those psalms and read through the lamentations, uh, or even, you know, ponder Ecclesiastes, which is also wrestling with some of these big questions in life and how to deal with the hard parts of life. And uh, it's not that God is going to make all of our problems go away. It's that God wants us to go to him with our problems and even express our our discouragement and allow him to, um, to, to be with us. 
allow him to to comfort us right the uh, also in the sermon on the mount jesus talks about how we should uh, look at the birds of the air and how um, how abundant they are and how god is with everyone that falls to the ground and he's with us even more which is a reminder not that our lives will be without pain and suffering but that when we experience pain and suffering god is here to comfort us and I also think our Christian faith calls us to respond with action. Uh, in, among the, the conclusions I've drawn from my years of, of meditating on Scripture, it's that God wants to accomplish his goals largely through the actions of created beings and created things. So uh, I have to tell this this story, this this wonderful parable uh, of a person who who makes a declaration. Right, I want to win the lottery, and I believe that God has ordained it, and it's God is going to make it happen. I have faith, I have confidence. God is going to deliver to me riches and wealth, so that I can. Let's hope that they're going to do something good with it. This sounds like um, the prosperity gospel, so forgive me for this. So anyhow, they proclaim it. God wants me to win the lottery. So the first drawing goes by. Nothing happens. They don't win. But they, they have not lost their faith. They know this is going to happen. So the second drawing goes by, and nothing happens. They're still confident. God is going to deliver this to me. They pray, God... Help me to win the lottery. Third drawing goes by and nothing. And they're getting frustrated and they cry out to God, God, why have you not honored my heartfelt request? Why do you not hear my prayers? Don't you, can't you witness my faith that you will give this to me? And then we see the, the church opens up and we hear this voice booming from heaven. And God says, I'm going to need you to meet me halfway. You're going to need to buy a ticket. Okay, maybe it's not a story. It's a it's a joke, right? The whole point is that this person is so convinced that God is going to deliver a lottery win when they do so without ever buying a lottery ticket. The point is that we are sometimes have this theology that when God acts, it's through miracle, it's through intervening in created order through uh, you know, booming voices and and uh, parting the Red Sea, and that's how God gets things done. And sometimes that is how God get things gets things done. But I think much more prominently, God is so joyful when He His created beings, when we His image bearers, go out on His behalf and and spread love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, etc. So um, God created us to have dominion over the earth. So that means we need to get to the to get to work. And so in that way, science is is sacramental, right? Science is a is a way of interacting with God. Science is a way of of being proactive in our pursuit of God, right? That we can allow scientists to search for a vaccine and to provide recommendations about how to prevent the spread and and how to treat those who are ill and in the hospital and how to protect those that are serving them. That science can inform our best response and that we can listen to the scientist 
And that is how we take action for the well-being of, uh, of the whole, of the people we love and the people that we don't know. So our, our Christian faith should um, transform our heart and inspire us to action. And, you know, it's not lost on me that, that this outbreak is in the season of Lent, a season when we are called to sacrifice something so that we can empathize with the suffering of Christ. Romans and, and James, it tells us that we should rejoice in our suffering, which I don't know anybody that does, right? Uh, I'm so glad that I'm going through this awful circumstance so that my faith can be made strong and so that I gain endurance. But that's what it tells us to do. Perhaps it's tongue-in-cheek, but we're reminded that uh, during this season of Lent and during this season of social isolation and being cut off from our community at work and, and um, at church, that we are reminded uh, of what matters and what lasts. And so as we mourn our, our schedules and our lost productivity and our, and our comfort and having the freedom to live as we want to, Instead, we spend more time with our families, and we spend more time on video chats, trying to be intentional about connecting with people, and we spend more time in the outdoors, going for walks, reading and praying and communing with God. And as we lament our savings accounts and our, and our lost jobs and our lost opportunities, we can spend more time on what matters and more time on what lasts. And while I'm not happy about the pandemic, I believe that one of the fundamental messages of Scripture is that God can redeem us through suffering, that God can take the worst things that happen, like the death of an innocent person, and turn it into something for good. So God does not cause the suffering, but God is capable of using the suffering to produce good. And I believe that this is an opportunity. Actually, so many people are seeking answers and seeking um, connection and recognizing the importance of their community and wanting to better understand uh, um, the, the, the joy that some Christians can have in the midst of, of hard times and our desire to go out and serve people and the history of Christians on the front lines of, of these terrible circumstances in the world and, and, and wonder if Christianity is something for them as well. So thanks for letting me talk through this and verbally process what we're all experiencing as we transform our lives for the next weeks and months as we fight against this pandemic. Disciple Science is a nonprofit. We exist to show how integrating science and Christian faith can inspire a fuller knowledge of God. We're a nonprofit and we are fully crowdfunded. And so everything we do is dependent on your generous support in the midst of these trying times and these circumstances, we are still getting donations from some of you, and I'm just so floored and honored by that uh, act of, of just raw generosity and, and, and support and grace. And so we, we thank you for that. Uh, if you want to give, if you are in a, in, a, in a place where you can give, we would greatly appreciate it. You can do so by uh, 
giving at our website or at our Facebook page. Uh, while you're at our website, make sure you explore the rest of our resources, sign up for our newsletter, send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. You can also help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts and liking and commenting on our videos on YouTube or just talking to your friends about Disciple Science as a resource that has been uh, insightful and helpful to you in your journey of faith. I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and composing our theme music and also for the amazing work he did on our video on the gospel and the environment, uh, composing music and designing the audio uh, great job, Caleb. Thanks for your continued work on this project. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.